Good morning once again. I hope today has been a blessing so far. We've been in a series for the last several weeks called History. And we're looking at the story that we tell as followers of Jesus. And first week we looked at the Bible and just simply asked the question, what is the Bible and how did we get it? Where did it come from? But ultimately the Bible is simply this. It is a retelling and remembering Zach, I need help. (laughs) Retelling and remembering of the great acts of God in history to redeem and restore his good world. God is at work in this world, and the Bible is this collection of stories written down over the years by so many different people telling one story, the story of God. Last week we talked about how sin entered into the world. It was this world, Hatat word hatat, and it means to fail or miss the goal. And we ask the question, well, what was the goal? It was to be God's image bearers, to represent him in this world, and they failed at it time and time again. But the problem is what sin creates in the brokenness of this humanity. Ultimately, sin breaks down relationship with God, and it breaks down relationship with other people. And you look at our world today and you see evidence of this everywhere you look. And it's so important that we understand and we know where we start in the story, in the midst of the brokenness. When I was first starting out in youth ministry, I was 23 years old, and we had people that would come to our church, and they still do that today, but they would come and they would ask for things, whether it was help with rent or gas money. And this one day, we had a a guy who shows up at our church asking for money for gas. And and sometimes you can tell, like, this is legitimate, this is a a, a huge need. And sometimes it's like, "Eh, something's a little off. And so this day, this guy comes in and he says, hey, I need some gas money. And I said, okay, well, kind of tell me what's going on and what's your story. And I don't remember the locations, the the places that he said at first, but it was something really absurd. It was something like, we we were in Oregon, and we're headed to Minnesota, and we stopped in Cleburne because we were out of gas. (laughs) And it was one of those moments, you you know where you're thinking things that you probably shouldn't say out loud? And my response was, you don't need gas money, you need a map. It was, it was crazy, but it was one of those moments, it's like, you are here. <laughs> you pull up on your phone, and it tells you, you are here. Here's your location. And understand, for us, in this world, you are here. Not, not just this physical here, here, but you are in the midst of the brokenness and the destruction that we all live within as sin has broken down relationships With God, it's broken down relationships with other people. And we live in the midst of those broken relationships, of that brokenness. But in that brokenness, God calls this man to start a new nation of people. A new group of people that would represent him. And he tells them, I will make you great. Genesis 12. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing going on he says I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you you will curse and all peoples 
all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And if you know the story, if you don't, Abraham listens to God and he sets out on this journey not knowing where he is going. And yet somehow the story still continues to go in the wrong direction just as it did in the very beginning. Isaac, Abraham's son, has two boys, twins, Jacob and Esau, who he plays favorites with, which in turn results in years and years of bitterness between the two. And then Jacob has his own kids, and he plays favorites, which results in his brothers hating their brother Joseph to the point that they want to kill him, but instead they sell him into slavery. And you watch this story as it continues to spiral out of control to the point that this family ultimately ends up with a nation of people as slaves in a place called Egypt. It's as if sin is told, they're told sin will wreak havoc on this world. And it will bring despair and destruction and death. It will mess everything up. And yet, continually, time after time, People choose their own path. And time after time, we see the destruction that follows. See, my guess is every single person in this room has experienced broken relationships. We talked a little bit about that last week. And at the core of every one of those broken relationships, I will promise you there is sin. There is something that someone has done, and and typically both sides have done to cause the problem, because sin is a systemic problem, and it affects generation after generation. But here's the, the beautiful news. God hears the cry of Israel. In Exodus 3, he says, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Their their cries don't fall on deaf ears. God does not give up on them. Instead, he comes down to rescue them. And as he pulls them out of slavery, he goes and takes them to be with him. They're at the foot of this mountain. And God says, I'm going to establish a relationship with you like no one else has in this world. And God says to the people, verse of 19, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is the generation that had just come out of slavery. They had just been rescued. They had just been saved. They had just been redeemed. Verse 5, now if you obey me fully, listen, God's giving them the terms for this relationship, what it's going to look like. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, Then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words, and he's talking to Moses, these are the words you're supposed to go back and tell the Israelites. 
So Moses comes down the mountain and he tells them, here's what God has said. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. So we're going to have this relationship. We're going to walk in a covenant with one another. And if you'll keep your side, I will keep my side. And I'm going to bless you and I'm going to set you apart. And your life is going to be better because of our relationship. And people say, we'll do it all. We'll do everything God has told us to do. We'll obey him fully and keep his commands. And then we're going to be this set-apart people that's different from the rest of the world. They're going to see God through these people. But there's a problem. There's a problem with their answer. Because they tell God they're going to do everything he has commanded them. And yet time and time again, we see people failing to live up and be the people that God is calling them to be. And for Israel, this became a performance It became the way you acted so that people would see you. For the religious leaders to stand out in the courtyards and make sure people noticed how generous you were. To make sure they knew how spiritual you were and how well you prayed. And the purpose of the law became this performance to get God to notice you. Because if God could notice you and see how good you were, then God, of course, would bless you and love you more. If you could follow him more closely and be more like he wants you to be, then obviously God is going to have more favor on you. And the problem is it never gets to the root of the problem. It never addresses the issue below the behaviors. It never addresses the disobedience. It just simply is this facade where we pretend to have it all together. You see, they had a love affair with the law. Even though they could not fully keep the law. I would suggest we have a love affair with the law. Even though we can't fully keep the law. And the reason we love the law so much is because with the law, you know where you stand. Right? There's a line. Do this, don't do this. And we like knowing exactly where we stand. And we're really good at pointing out the laws that we're really good at keeping. And ignoring the ones we aren't. So I want to do a little test this morning. I hope everyone will answer yes, and you're going to answer yes by standing up. 
okay? If you believe you are a good, law-abiding citizen in the United States of America, would you stand up? If you can't stand, just raise your hand. If you can't raise your hand, ask someone to hold your hand up for you. I see you, Joyce. If you're online, just hold your hand up right there, like this. Put, put it in the chat. Your hand's up, okay? Every one of us would say, yes, we are good, law-abiding citizens. So I want to ask, have you broken a law? And it's summer, all right? It's summer. I know some of you might have been sitting on a beach last week and just sitting in a chair, sleeping all day. And so last week, we're going to go a month. If you have broken a law in our country in the last month, in just a second, I'm going to ask you to sit down, okay? Just, I'll, I'll give you some help, all right? So um, if you have jaywalked, it, it's not against the law to jaywalk in a neighborhood, but in the city, do you know people actually share their medication, their prescriptions with other people? Even if it's your spouse, that's against the law. Just sit down if I finally hit you. Um, do you know? Do you know that if you live in the state of Texas, you are supposed to register your cat and dog with the state of Texas? <laughs> Only about five percent of people do that. If you have broken any copyright infringements with music or movies that you have watched or listened to, <laughs> do you also know that it is illegal to throw away mail that does not belong to you? Including, <laughs> including circulars for advertisements from other companies. It is punishable by a $250,000 fine or five years in jail. It is a felony. So if Academy sends you a coupon and it's addressed to someone else beside you, you are not technically supposed to throw that away. If, there are some people still going. I want to know what y'all do with the mail that you get at your house that's not yours. If you have gone over the speed limit, Run a red light, not signaled, when you change lanes, <laughs> or looked at your phone while you were in your driving. Wow. Y'all are pretty good Americans, I'll say. <laughs> But, but here's the point. Every single one of us in here who keeps most of the laws would say, we really like the law. Because it helps us as a community of people live together. And when God gives them the law, that was the purpose. To form this new community of people that was different from the rest of the world. So that they could live in community with one another and their neighbors, so that they could represent God well. Just, just imagine for a moment, okay? There, there are six commands right here. As he gives them the law, he gives these ten commandments. The first four are about our relationship with God. The next six are about our relationship with other people, okay? 
Honor your father and mother. Don't murder someone. Don't commit adultery. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't covet. Imagine for the next week, every single person in Tyler, Texas, said, we will do everything the Lord has said in regards to those six commands. We, we will do everything God has said in regards to those six commands. Can I, can I ask a question? Would this city be better off? Absolutely. And that was the purpose of the law. It was to form this new community of people that's going to be a blessing in this world, that's going to be set apart. And I'll hear people say from time to time, well, the purpose of the law was to show the people how sinful they were. No, that wasn't the purpose of the law. Does it do that? Absolutely. But the purpose was to form a new group of people that would live in community with one another. The the purpose wasn't just to keep the law. The purpose was that it would transform their life. Something would happen within them that would set them apart. But just as they say, we will do everything God says, it continues to spiral, spiral out of control. And now it's not just a divided family, it's a divided nation whose fathers were themselves divided. This nation that continued to spiral out of control, this nation that continued to have a problem, And we saw the way the world works. How how do you respond to evil with evil? If someone does something to you, pay them back. And they had laws that would limit how much you were able to do. But we learned something so important about the cycle of revenge. And it's without forgiveness, there is no future, only the endless cycle of the painless past. Without forgiveness, there is no future, only the endless cycle of the painful past. That that if forgiveness in the midst of the mess and the chaos and the brokenness cannot happen, all that you're going to see is this story on repeat. And the same story that starts in the garden is going to play out over and over and over again. See, the question becomes, if God loves his good creation, what lengths would he go to to rescue it? And it brings up for me another really, really big question. Is God's justice retributive or restorative? In other words, is God's punishment, judgment, and correction rooted in vengeance or restoration? Is God trying to bring his goodness into the world so that the world sees him? Is he trying to save the world? Or is it to get even 
with those who have done wrong? Is it a retributive justice or is it a restorative justice? There is a significant difference. And I think we answer that with the words of John. As we ask, what does God's justice look like? As we ask, what links is God willing to go to to rescue? In the book of John, he begins his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Going down to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And we talked about the different versions a couple of weeks ago of the Bible. I love the way the message puts this. It says the word became flesh and blood and it moved into the neighborhood. That the word, Jesus, becomes flesh and blood and he moves in to our world. And what we see is the word perfectly pointed to Jesus. And Jesus perfectly revealed the Father. What what does God want to say to his lost and broken world, this humanity that is searching? He wants to say, I love you, and I will continue to passionately pursue you. You see, as we began the story in Genesis 1, light comes into the world through the Word. And then in John 1, the Word once again comes into the world. And both times in Genesis 1 and John 1, the Word brings light into this world. That's set up as a city on a hill that's different. But the thing is, everyone saw the light as something different. Because as Jesus stands in the midst of the brokenness and he declares, I am king, I am Messiah, everyone has a different perception of what that actually means. Everyone believed it was something different. Because the Romans had this perception, well, if you're going to be king, that means we're not. And if the people who support our lifestyle are not on the throne, then that's not good. And for the religious leaders who had the system in place, and their livelihood was based on perpetuating that system, then if you become king, and you're really the leader, and you're the son of God, and you're not teaching what we teach, then that messes up our world. And the disciples... These nobodies, these peasants who are following Jesus and giving their life to him, who are fishermen, they hear you're going to be king. Oh, man, that's good news for us. Because I think in every one of their minds, how do you get to a position of power? 
You kill, steal, and abuse to get what you need done. And the question for Jesus, would you abandon the Father's way to accomplish the Father's plan? Would you give up on the Father's way of representing him in this world to accomplish the Father's plan? And we see as he's tempted by Satan, that temptation to give up the Father's way to accomplish the plan of the Father. And Jesus is unwilling to do it. He's unwilling to abandon the way. And then, just a little bit later in the story, John speaks these words straight from the mouth of Jesus. Starting in verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And we always look at it as this perception of Jesus comes down to earth and say, hey, if you want to follow me, you come through me. But I, I kind of have a little different perspective on it. I don't see it as necessarily, and I think there is a part of that, yeah, where it's, hey, come to me. But more than that, I think Jesus is standing there at the, the crux of the story and the, the place in history saying, it's no one else is pursuing you. No one else is coming after you. No one else has given up everything so that you would know that he loves you. That he's calling you, that he's coming after you, that he pursues you, and that he loves you, and he wants the best for you. See, no one else is coming for you. No one else is coming for me. And that verse that Elliot read earlier, that, that end part, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. Isn't that beautiful? He devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. And so what did he do? He took humanity's sins upon himself. What, what, what do we mean by that? Sin did its absolute worst to Jesus. Right? If sin breaks down a relationship with God, it breaks down a relationship with other people, it enters into the story. And they torture and murder an innocent man out of fear, pride, and prejudice. Is there anything worse that sin could possibly do to someone? He takes all of it on himself and it becomes this representative sin that all of us in some way, in some form, in some fashion have contributed to. No, no matter how good we think we are at keeping the law. No, good at, no, no matter how good we are at not messing up the story. 
And as we saw last week, this spiral of humanity out of control with the effects of sin. I want to remind you of Newton's law. You remember we, we kind of threw this in last week? Newton's first law of motion. It says this, an object in motion will remain in motion unless it's acted upon by an external force. Right? Sin is, and I know Newton didn't mean it this way, right? But, but sin is spiraling out of control. It's doing its absolute worst, leaving creation in distress and havoc and chaos. And as it does its worst to Jesus, you hear these words spoken from a cross over the people who tortured, murdered the innocent man out of fear, pride, and prejudice. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And sin does its worst. To God in the flesh, his first inclination is to forgive it. What's the external force that stops sin and death in its tracks? It's forgiveness. It has the power to change everything. And so last week we said, words have the power to create new worlds. In the beginning, God speaks into the nothingness and creates this new world. Here on the cross, Jesus speaks these words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing and creates a new world. Because on the other side of forgiveness is a world that is created that moments before did not and could not exist. A world that was not possible. Out of many of the dark moments in human history comes the Armenian Genocide. And this was the Ottoman Empire's extermination of about 1.5 million Turks between the years 1915 and 1923. And it seems like stories like that cast a shadow over humanity's brokenness. But out of the midst of the brokenness and horror of those stories, there's a story of a nurse. One afternoon, this platoon of soldiers and an officer were systematically going through a small village, raiding every home. And they barge into this one home and immediately kill a mom and dad. And they take the three daughters captive. The officer says to the officer or to the other soldiers, you can have the younger two girls to do with as you please. But the older one is mine. And over the next several weeks and months, he tortures 
abuses and rapes this young girl until one day she is able to escape. She becomes a nurse. And one evening, under the pale light of an army tent, her eyes catch a glimpse of the man who killed her parents, tortured, abused, and raped her, and seemingly would have ruined her life. And because he was very badly wounded, if he did not receive exceptional medical care, he would most certainly die. And so she gave him exceptional care. Several days later, as the doctor was making his rounds, he's talking to this very officer. And he says, you are very lucky because I couldn't get here that night. And if it wasn't for that young nurse over there, you would most definitely have died. And his eyes turn and their eyes meet and his stomach turns over. And a lump in his throat and a pain in his chest And his eyes well with tears. Shaken, she begins to walk over to his bedside. And with all the strength that he has, he musters up this single question. Why didn't you kill me? And she simply looked at him and smiled. And said, because I follow the one who says, love your enemies. On the other side of forgiveness, a new world is created that moments before did not and could not exist. It is the world that Jesus has invited us to be co-creators with him of, partners of. Because responding to the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, isn't just simply what God can do for you. That God can save you. He can. But it's also an invitation to join him in bringing that goodness to this world. That you would be his hands and feet. You see, the cross shows us there is another way besides revenge. There is another way besides getting even. There there is a different way than hate. It is simply the way of the cross. It is the way that says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And what we find in the death of Jesus is the beauty of the resurrection, is that we find sin and death are completely powerless where forgiveness flows freely. Sin and death are powerless where forgiveness flows freely. 
And for you and I, that journey begins in the water. As we're baptized into Christ, and in that moment, Jesus says, I'm going to absorb your sin. I'm going to take it upon myself. I'm going to fully forgive it. I'm not going to count it against you. I'm going to set you free from it. But understand this. When we enter into that relationship, we are echoing the same words of the Israelites as we enter into that covenant relationship. We will do everything that you have commanded. I don't know about you, but that scares me. And I am so thankful that Jesus continues to cover my sins. That he continues to set me free. That he continues to love me even when I mess up. But that commitment that begins in the water is not simply, God, save me. It is also, God, I am committed to being you in this world, to bearing your image, to living a life of forgiveness that we become this forgiven community of forgiven sinners that are going into this world bringing the forgiveness of God and the hope of Jesus into this world. And so many times we finish with, here's what you need to do. And if you do need to respond, you can do that. Come, we'll baptize you if we want to pray for you. We're going to have shepherds. But I want us to finish this morning. Not with what you need to do, but just simply in awe of what God has done. That in spite of everything, he loved you and gave himself for you. And my hope is not that you're just going to follow Jesus and look at it as a set of rules, but that you're going to be madly and passionately in love with the God of creation who has pursued you and come after you because he loves you. So we're going to finish this morning. And like I said, our shepherds are going to be in the back. If you need, we would love to help you. I want to finish this morning just simply in awe of who Jesus is and what he has done for us.